You are listening to a message from City Church, located in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. For more information on City Church, or for additional resources, including service times, recommended readings, and additional audio, please visit citychurchpa.org. Our passage of Scripture today in Exodus 34, in the beginning of 35, is reviewing or presenting this annual um, worship schedule that the children of Israel were to observe and also uh, reminding them of the Sabbath. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but in that just short Scripture that we read, there was two references, reminder of the Sabbath. Um, If you have been attending City Church over the past, say, several months at least, I probably would wager you've heard at least one message already on the Sabbath. Um, By my count, I think we've hit it three times. I know Raphael preached once. Joe Gill gave a message on the Sabbath, and I gave a message on Sabbath. Um, It just seems like, in a way, even this whole passage of Scripture that we're looking at is kind of like deja vu all over again. I I was even wondering, are we in the matrix, you know, where you see the black cat go by the stairwell more than once, you know? I mean, are we, it seems like this is happening over and over again. And I mentioned that specifically because one of the complaints that I have heard, even among Christians, uh, is they're reading Scripture they just say, you know, there's, there's so much redundancy in the Bible. You know, things are repeated over and over again. And, and I want you to recognize that that's one of the reasons why we do what we do here at City Church. Why we have uh, what we call expository preaching, where we, we go through a whole book of the Bible. And the reason is because if you just play... Uh, take the Bible and you just grab bag. You just open it up and boing, there it is. Yes, that's the word of God. But you're reading it as a verse, but you're going to understand it if you see it in context. If you know the background and if you know who it was addressed to, it, it, it was written for a purpose. And that is something we need to think about. The reason why scripture repeats itself There's a purpose behind it. There's a reason why it is the way it is. And so we need to remember, first of all, that the scripture that is being given, that we've read, was given to God's people. They were his chosen people. And he made a covenant with them. And he told them, I will bless you. But you must also obey my commands and my laws. And so in in the context of chapter 34, what we're reading, we have to remember that this is a do-over. Back in chapter 32 of Exodus, they were being given the Ten Commandments. Moses had taken these two stone tablets, took them to, the, to, the, to Mount Sinai. God was writing by the finger of God. He was writing the tablets. In the meantime, they're down there worshiping a golden calf having a hula on it, all right? They're just all excited. And, and, and Moses hears this, comes down. He's so infuriated, he throws these 
tablets down, shatters them. And now, right after that, they are getting a reminder, if you will, another explanation of you're the children of Israel, you're the children of God, you are not to be doing these things. And so what we're seeing now is this, is this review to them that to remind them what they are, what they should be doing, what they should not be doing. And, and so the key focus that is being brought to us as we read this in context is that God is, is reminding them of what they need to remember. To remember is going to be a key word we're going to talk today about. Because see, God knows our hearts. And he knows what we're made of. And he knows we need reminder. And you know how I know that? Because I read the Bible. And do you realize that the word remember occurs 234 times in the Bible? And 184 of those are in the Old Testament. And, and you can just, I mean, just, just real quick, let's take the first five books of the Bible. In Genesis, you have the flood and God gives a rainbow. Why? He said to remind them that he had, had to scorch the earth. He had to not scorch it, water it down. He had to cause a, a, a worldwide flood to, to again, to, to show them that he had judged the earth. And, and, and so the rainbow reminds us of that. It's meant to remind us of that. In the book of Exodus, as we're seeing, on and on and on, the, the, the Sabbath has to be mentioned at least five times, I think, because he wants us to remember that day is holy. It's important. You come to Leviticus, and we're looking today at the section of Scripture. If you want to get more deeper, Leviticus 23 is really an expansion of what we're going to look at today in just a minute. Uh, and I do want to make a full disclosure here. If you want to know about uh, goat's blood and all this sort of thing that is in there, we're going to look at those in the home groups, okay? There's some interesting things that are going to be more for discussion in small groups. I'm not going to touch on some of these things today. I'm going to look at a bigger picture, if you will. But I want you to know that even in, in this section in Leviticus, we are being told and reminded of something that had already been uh, noted in, in, in Exodus. You get to Numbers, and I love this scripture in Numbers 15, verse 38 to 40. Speak to the Israelites and tell them that throughout their generations they are to make tassels for the corners of their garment and put a blue cord on the tassel on each corner. These will serve as tassels for you to look at so that you may remember all the Lord's commands and obey them and not prostitute yourselves by following your own heart and your own eyes. This way you will remember and obey all my commands and be holy to your God. God is reminding them again, giving them ways to remember. And then we come to the book of Deuteronomy, which is now they are literally on the banks of the Jordan River. They're ready to go into the promised land. The Lord parks them for a month and reviews all the law. The word Deuteronomy literally means the second giving of the law to remind them. To remember is a command. 
And, and you'll notice that is what we're seeing here is that God's word is designed to help us remember. But see, this involves using our minds. We have to love the Lord with what? Our heart, our soul, ah, our minds, and our strength. Huh. Christians have to use their minds. What a surprise. But you know, loving the Lord with your mind means that God is thinking, helping us think, which involves to remind yourself means memory. Well, memory falls into a category of science known as psychology. Ooh. Well, guess who invented psychology? God. But see, we don't want man's psychology. We need gospel-centered psychology. And you know what that is? We are sinners. He's our Savior. That's where you start. It's the only way you're going to understand yourself. And so what is the purpose of the Sabbath? Why this is so critical has to do with the idea of resting. You have a week and you're going to have a day that the Lord says, just stop, just rest. But not rest for a siesta, wake up at, you know, Monday morning. No, it is for a purpose to remember the things that he, that he wants us to remember. Let me give you a way, I'm going to give you a little psychology here uh, lesson on memory. How do we remember? There's, there's four ways that your mind will remember things, one of which is repetition. You repeat something over and over again. How do you teach your children the times table? You just have to go over it again and again, right? You learn that. Um, the reason why the Bible is repeating things over and over again is for that very reason. Repetition causes you to remember. And it's, it's also you notice that you repeat things that are important. So when you see a dominant theme, something being reminded to God's people over and over again, it should set apart something saying, ooh, I better remember this. This is important. We remember things not just through repetition. We remember them through emotion, through experience. Uh, sometimes I ask people, what's your earliest childhood memory or, or school memory. Um, I'm so old that I went, my first school experience was first grade. I didn't even have kindergarten when I was, you know, back, barely had schools, right? But no, I mean, I went to a real school, first grade, and my earliest memory I was thinking about in this message, I thought, what was my earliest memory? And it came instantly to me. I remembered it like it was yesterday. I was the teacher's favorite student, okay? That was obvious to me, at least, that I was her favorite because she let me do little errands. And one of them was, Larry, go get the finger paint jar, which was made of glass, okay, the jar. So little Larry, he gets it, and he's bringing it back, whoops, and it falls and smashes on the floor. And I remember crying because I was convinced that I was going to have to repeat first grade because I had smashed the uh, jar, and it was quite traumatic for me. 
But you know, we do remember those things that were emotional. They stick with us. I bet anyone at least over 30 remembers where they were when they heard about the 911 attacks in 2001. I mean, it just, it just, you, because it was so emotional, it, it just, it just grabbed you. Um, notice how many times that the Lord reminds the children of Israel about the slavery in, in Egypt. It's, it says here, and, 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 and they had to be reminded because believe it or not, they would forget. There's this incredible story in Numbers 11. I just think this is, Numbers 11 is one of my favorite Old Testament chapters. But I love this. And, and the Christian Standard Bible has a nice way to put it. I like this. The riffraff among them. I love riffraff. There's a good word for you. The riffraff among them had a strong craving for other food. The Israelites wept again and said, Who will feed us meat? We remember the free fish we ate in Egypt, along with the cucumbers and the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. You can tell these are Jewish people, right? But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing to look at but this manna. Yo, guys, don't you remember slavery? You know, whips, babies being killed. Hello? They forgot. They forgot. We remember through repetition. We remember through experience, emotion. We remember things that are significant to us. Things that, 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 that have value. Things that are a matter of life or death. Isn't it curious how you can remember so well when somebody owes you money? But you have a little bit harder trouble remembering when you owe them money, right? That's a bit different. The Lord is constantly reminding the children of Israel that they are his people. They are his chosen people. You see that again and again and again. They are unique people from anyone in the whole world. And we also remember things that are, that are tangible, that we, that we put in tandem with things, an association. You know, to take the, the abstract and make it concrete. We use monotics. I mean, if, uh, I, when I was music, every good boy does fine, E-G-B-D-F. You know, that's how you would remember how do you remember the Grand Great Lakes? Anybody know the homes, right? H-O-M-E-S. What is it? Huron, Ontario, Michigan. Where am I? I'm in Erie and Superior, right? Ha! Huh, you remembered them. Who would ever remember the five Great Lakes? But think of what I just mentioned about the, the, the high priests and the tassels and, the, the, uh, and, and what they were to wear, the men were supposed to wear. To remember them. Jesus used parables to tell spiritual truth. He used everyday stuff as examples for them to connect. And guess what I just did? R-E-S-T. Repetition, experience, significance, tangent, tangible. R-E-S-T. The Sabbath is to rest to rest to remember. And you're probably going to remember that. Because it's just so simple. Well that is what God wants us to do. When we see his word. He, is, he wants us to focus on things that he wants to highlight. That he wants us to remember. To remind us. Whatever you want to call it. And he used for the 
Israelites here, the yearly festivals that they were to, to follow and a weekly one known as the Sabbath. And so we're going to look now at the purpose and the significance of these events because it, it, it will bring home then to us in our everyday lives. God in his wisdom structured their worship around three key festivals. And these were in different seasons. And it was a way that they could remember. It was also practical in their understanding. So what he gave them was a tangible, repetitive, significant experience to help them remember. A way to rest. And that's what we do on Sabbath. But the importance of these three festival periods, and by the way, we sometimes hear them called festivals, sometimes called feasts. The Hebrew word is actually appointed times. That's what they were. They were just specific appointed times, but they enjoyed them, or at least found in them such that they called them festivals and feasts. And they, 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 these three different uh, time periods revolved around the agricultural uh, life that they had. They were they got to they got to eat, so they got to plant. They got to do these things, but they're going to have a time of of planting. They're going to have a time of cultivating. They're going to have a time of of harvest. And so Israel is being given these 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 specific festivals, feasts to remember who they are and how they are supposed to worship Him. So we begin with this first set of three which was in the springtime, the planting season. And it was known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a week long, but it started actually with the uh, Feast of Passover. Now, Passover of the seven is probably the one we are most familiar with because, of course, this was Jesus having uh, Passover with his disciples on the night he was betrayed to which brings us to the remembrance of it through, um, through our communion. But what Passover signified, if you remember, and we covered this back in earlier part of Exodus, was when they were going to leave Egypt. It was time for them to go. After 400 years of, of slavery, they're now going to go. But God was making a judgment upon the firstborn, using the firstborn, because they are all sinners. But what they were going to do was going to obey God and sacrifice an innocent lamb whose blood would then be put above the, 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 the out of the doorway, the lentil around the doorway, so that the angel of death would pass over them, would not go and take their firstborn. But, of course, the Egyptians did not want to do that. No, no, no. And as a result, it said that every Egyptian suffered loss through that. So this Passover was a time period, but it was celebrated with a meal. They had a meal. And that was celebrating then their deliverance, uh, their freedom that God was giving them. And then following this, then immediately begins the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, the Unleavened Bread was related to the Exodus because 
they weren't supposed to put the, what you will, the, the stuff that makes it, what do you call that? Yeast, thank you, yes, yeast. You can tell I, I eat, I don't cook. But because they didn't have time for it to come get fully made, so they had to take it, flatbread, and because it symbolizes they're, they're, they're getting out of Dodge fast, right? They're moving out. And so what this was representing, though, was that, that God was going to sustain them. God was going to provide for them. And they could, they could recognize that through this. The, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is actually an act of faith because it's showing that they are, they are acknowledging this immediate exodus that they're, that they're going on, that they're going to trust the Lord now, going into, if you will, the wilderness and into an unknown area. And then, are you ready for this? Three days after Passover is first fruits. Now that day, that's important because what they're doing in this, what it is, again, revolving around the agricultural uh, schedule, it is going to be the celebration of the barley harvest. Barley comes in early. And so here they are acknowledging... Uh, God's provision for them, even in this time period. Just as he provided manna, now he's providing food for them. And they're, they're recognizing that and, and enjoying that. Now will come seven weeks. And on that, it's now seven times seven. Remember, you know, we learned our times table right, 49. The day after would be a 50th day, Pentecost. Now, that would be seven weeks after uh, Passover comes this late spring, uh, almost um, beginning of summer, harvest time for the wheat. And this was signified, according to what we, we, we read in Leviticus, was commemorating the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. That's what they were celebrating in here. And by the way, this was a uh, huge, big feast day. It is, it's called Shabbat in, uh, in Israel. And they, they enjoy Shabbat. It's a, a big celebration. Because they're celebrating this. And as we know, there's other things we'll see about Pentecost in a bit. But we still just want to just do a flyover of these. Now there's, that's just a, that's a, that's a one event stuck in the middle of the year. And now, in, in the seventh uh, month will come the Feast of Rosh Hashanah, which is now going to be the Feast of Trumpets. It's New Year's Day for the Jews. Uh, they have a very strange kind of calendar. They have a uh, religious calendar. They have a civil calendar. So Passover is beginning the religious calendar, but now Trumpets is their... Uh, the beginning of their Jewish Sybil calendar. Uh, it's commemorating the end of the kind of agricultural and, and festival year. So on this particular day, it's trumpets, it's New Year's for them, and no work was to be done. This was a day of rest. This is just a day of celebration. But it follows right on the heels then of the Day of Atonement. And this is the most holy day in the entire schedule 
of, of, of Israel's um, people, Yom Kippur, which would be 10 days after trumpets. And this day, and we've talked about this before, this is the day, the only day, when the high priest could actually go into the Holy of Holies and bring the sacrifice of blood to, to, to ask for remission of sins for all the sins that the, God's people have done to children of Israel during that past year. And then, what is even more wonderful to me, well, that is wonderful, let's not minimize that, but the, the symbolism that the Lord then gives, because this animal that was sacrificed was another animal just like it. And it wasn't sacrificed. Instead, it was taken and taken out into the wilderness. And they could watch as it goes and it becomes fainter and fainter to see it. As far as the east is from the west, it's being taken from us because the high priest has pressed upon his head and confessed all the sins that they have committed during that past year. And now they know it's being atoned for, but God is forgetting. He's, he's, he's saying it's gone now. It's, 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 it's out of here. You're new. And then comes the last festival, which is, again, the same trumpets, Day of Atonement, comes the Tabernacle of Booths, uh, or it's Tabernacles. And this is a, a really kind of odd, if, if you have any Jewish friends, even if they live in a very nice home, in a very nice neighborhood, they will make these little shelters, and they'll go out and sometimes even sleep there. Because it's to remember for them the time when God had taken them and they had to live out in the wilderness. They had to, they had to live in booths, so to speak. But what they were representing, though, what, they, what, what is signified in this is that God was with them during that time. They had to take this tented temple around with them called the tabernacle. But it was signifying that God was with them. And so they, they, they had this understanding that God was tabernacling with them. He was with them. And that's what they got out of that. Now, those are wonderful festivals. They have great significance. But the question for us, in a way, is kind of, so what? What does that have to do with us? We're not Jewish. So why do we even have to read this? What, 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 what's uh, the takeaway for us? Well, Jesus gave an answer to that at the Sermon on the Mount when he said in Matthew 5, 17, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. He is going to embody all of those festivals. He in himself is going to do all of that and bring that to us. So when we look at these festivals, what we're actually doing for us now in the new covenant is that we can recognize that our Savior has come. That when we look at Jesus, we're seeing him in his glory that we sang about so wonderfully. But in a nutshell, what we're getting here is a way for us to understand 
that Jesus fulfilled all the law. He was the embodiment of all the offices of, the, of, the, of a king, of a priest, of a prophet. It's all seen in Jesus, and we see it specifically through how he fulfilled these festivals. So let's, let's do a walkthrough on this. Look at them again with the eyes of Jesus, from Jesus' perspective, starting with the fact that as Jesus is our high priest, we had this thing called Passover. And, and here, instead of an animal, the blood is his own blood. It is Jesus who's sacrificing his life. And, and he was the lamb without spot or blemish. Because his life was completely free from sin. And, and just as those Israelites were set free from slavery on that night of Passover, guess what? We become free. Our sin gets taken away. We now can live in freedom and newness of life. Praise God. The slavery of sin is destroyed through that Passover, through that blood of Jesus. And then we see this unleavened bread. As we, 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 this event was joined together with Passover. Unleavened bread was right on the, right on the heels of, of Passover. And so what it's doing, remember leaven, yeast, in the Bible, that is used as a, as a symbol of sin. To, to remove leaven was like to remove sin. So unleavened bread means bread that's without sin or without a, a body without sin. Well, that was Jesus. Jesus was the one who was without sin. And thus he was a perfect sacrifice for sins. And, and just like a, a current, it was also uh, Referencing the, the, the uh, wheat harvest, I'm sorry, the barley harvest. But you see here also that he is representing the bread of life through this. He's the one that gives us life. Which then we get to notice now the third festival that's relating now to that time period. Passover, um, unleavened bread, and then first fruits, which I... Hopefully I emphasized enough. Three days after Passover. Well, if you take three days from the cross, what do you got? The empty tomb. You get Jesus resurrected from the dead. So the first fruits now represents to us the Messiah's resurrection. That he's not dead, he's alive. And it's the first fruit of the righteous. So Jesus being resurrected on that very day is one of the reasons why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 that he is the first fruits from the dead. That's our joy. What a priest. What a high priest. Then we come to this middle, the fourth one that's in, this, in the middle of the, the year known as Pentecost. Again, we know this one pretty well because of Acts 2 that this was a time when the Holy Spirit came upon the 120 and the, the birth of the church. But in one sense, this also represents Jesus as a prophet. Because, you know, when 
Peter got up and gave his impromptu message in Acts chapter 2, if you read that, you find that he refers to Joel as a prophet. He refers to David as a prophet in that short message. Well, Jesus is the one true prophet, the one who is the one that brings forth the word, the one who is now going to embody all the promises of the Old Testament in himself. And that is wonderful. But what's even more amazingly wonderful is the fact that that's now going to be imparted to us. Wow. He gives, a prophet just tells you the truth. We have one who gives us in himself the truth. I get chills just thinking about it. And then comes the last three that has to do with the king. Jesus is our king. And so when we come to trumpets, the beginning of the fall festival, the trumpet was actually a thing called a shofar. It was a, a ram's horn. And I don't know if you've ever heard one for real, but they really make a noise. I mean, you, you, you'll hear it. You'll know it. You know, just really... Gets your attention. Well, you obviously they didn't just didn't use it for music. I mean, they just didn't blow it for the sake of blowing it. They there had to be a major purpose, and one of the purposes was when a king was coming, people needed to know that here comes the king. You have to you have to bow down. You have to acknowledge the king. Well, we have our king coming. He is coming, and so we see here. This begins, but notice, what kind of king do we have? What follows right after trumpets is the day of atonement. So it's, you're thinking of this majestic king, but yet he's one who emptied himself completely, taking the form of a servant, died for us. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing what Philippians chapter 2 when I, was a, when I was just a young man, I tried to memorize that chapter. I remember because it's just, just that idea of who Jesus was hit me so hard. Listen to these verses. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who though existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Christ Jesus is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Woo! Glory to God. And the last festival. That kind of in a way sums them all up. Is tabernacles or booths. Celebrating God's provision. For his people. His care for them. Recognizing that the Lord was with them. All the time. And we see John. The Apostle John really, I think, said it best in, in the first chapter, John 1.14, that he said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt among us, dwelt in 
means tabernacled. He tabernacled with us. He was the one that we were under. We are given the Sabbath to remember. But there's also one more important thing that's really kind of, you have to think about this. These appointed days that were given to Israel, these special days, were agriculturally oriented. They had to do with harvest, with planting. Where did they get these? Where did they get this message? In the wilderness. They're in a desert. And they're getting told about what they have to do in the promised land. And they have to do that now in the wilderness. You have to celebrate these things. But, but, but no, right now you're doing it because it's showing by faith that you are going to experience that. They have something already, but they're not experiencing it not yet. Huh. Does that sound a little familiar? And already and not yet? That's where we are, folks. That's where we are right now. We have all the body. In fact, I, I can't say it better than Peter said it. Second Peter 1.3. He said, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Let me repeat that. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And yet, and yet, it's not yet. We await our full redemption when Christ is going to come back. That's what awaits us. And, and I mean, if you ever are in a bad mood or having a rough day, pull out Revelation 5.9. Just, just soak your brain on this one. After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So, we have, we have Christ as our Savior and our Lord, and it all starts with Passover, which is why the Lord gave us this celebration of the Last Supper to remind us of the work of Jesus Christ. It's a reminder, folks. He is that lamb whose blood was shed for our sin. He is the bread of life, our sustainer. He's the resurrected one, the first fruits that will all enjoy those that belong to him that have put their faith and trust in Jesus. He's the one who's our king, who's going to come again. He is everything. He's our high priest who atoned for our sins, removed them from us as far as the east is from the west. You know, 
Do you ever get convicted sometimes of your past? You know Jesus forgives you, but you can't forgive yourself. Let me, you need to put a mirror up and, and, and have Jesus show you that he has taken those things. They are gone. They're removed from us. And he's the one who provides for us. He promises to never leave us, never abandon us, never forsake us. And this is what the Lord wants us to remember. Because when we don't remember, we start looking at ourselves. We look at the crap that we are carrying around. He wants us to see what he has done and who we serve. The children of Israel are a great example of what not to do in many cases. But the Lord wants us to see that he has made a people. And we see those in the, in, in the new covenant. Yes, they screw up sometimes. This church is not perfect. But we know the one who is perfect, the one that we serve and the one we go to. And he gives us this day, the first day of the week, so that we can come together, so we can worship. We celebrate through song, through, through asking forgiveness for our sins and confession, to hear God's word preached to us. But he, he wants us to remember something else that we don't emphasize maybe enough. We come in here as individuals, separate people. We all very different. I mean, this is a real different bunch, right? And yet, we are all the same in Christ. The, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And that's where we are. We are one people. We are jointly together, the body of Christ. That's who we are. And Jesus summed all this up in a very simple yet profound way that we call communion. It's a very simple act, but it has tremendous significance. The bread representing his body given as a sacrifice for sins. And that cup with the fruit of the vine representing his blood poured out for us. And Paul told the church at Corinth to just pause and reflect on that before you partake of this sacrament. What Paul was essentially telling them is you need to do a heart check. By the way, I get a heart check quite often because I have a bad heart. I'm happy to announce that my heart is now at 40%. It was at 35 so I'm, that's why I look so much healthier now, right? I've got five more percent in my heart. Well, that's my ticker inside me, but our spiritual heart is infinitely more important. And this is what we're supposed to do, a spiritual heart check before communion. And there's three things you might want to consider. In fact, not might, you should consider. First of all, you should not take communion unless you really are truly a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and it, it's, it's such a precious thing that it should not become a meaningless ritual, religious ritual. And if you are not sure of that, if you're, if, you're, if you're not sure if you're truly a believer, 
We'll have some folks in the back. and You can just settle that in your heart and mind. But secondly, we should also make sure that we're up to date with God concerning any unconfessed sin or maybe uh, unsurrendered areas of your life. In other words, perform a heart check on yourself. It's important to note, note here that, that being up to date doesn't imply perfection. Some people think that. You know, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, 31, 32, that we are to, just, to, to judge ourselves appropriately. All right? We need to allow the Lord to discipline us as he's sanctifying us. We don't have to be perfect. But we have to seek the one who is perfect. And then finally, we really should read this and receive this as a celebration. <laughs> you know, the, the, the Jewish people, bless their hearts, they took that thing called appointed times and began to call them festivals and feasts. They enjoyed this thing that God was bringing them. And, and I think that's also one of the great things about our Christian faith is that we are to have joy. You know, joy is mentioned almost as much as remember. So what we need to do is just as we need to remember, we need to rejoice, right? Get in that, into that frame of mind. It's just a little piece of bread and a little tiny cup of grape juice, but it's a powerful symbol. And it's a blessing. And it's specifically a blessing for one reason, one reason only, really. Jesus gave it to us. It's his gift to us. And he gave it to us to help us remember. To make us recognize that we have been made whole. We are a new creation. And it's not our goodness, not our works. It's from his wonderful, sacrificial love. So... When you are ready, we ask that you would go around the sides, uh, take of the elements, bring them back to uh, your seat. And when we have all come, we're going to partake together as one people that blessing of his life. Thank you for listening to this message from City Church, located in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. We hope God meets you where you are and doesn't leave you, but changes you through the work of His Son. For additional information, please visit citychurchpa.org.